last week we were exposed to the God of the king who left the house of bread and moved to a place called of his father with his wife, Pleasant, and their two sons, namely Sickly and Pining. The God of the king died and Sickly married a girl called Friend and Pining married also a girl called Long Hair or Maine. Shortly afterwards, both Sickly and Pining also died. Pleasant decided to return to the house of bread alone, but her daughter-in-law, friend, would have none of it. She told Pleasant that wherever she goes, she will go. Wherever she sleeps, she will sleep. Her God will be her God. Her people will be her people. Where she dies, she will die. Friend later married someone called Fleetness, and God blessed their union with a son named Serving. I wish to thank uh, Sister Pamela and my brother Lindsay for their son, whose name means smooth um, in Latin, who faithfully and tenderly served as God's encouraging message last week. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, when you are severely pressed by unfavorable conditions of success or finances or health issues or relationships, what fragrance do you release, discharge, or emit In other words, what comes out of you? In spite of the fact that some people might be having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. For some people, they might call it, instead of saying day, it might call life. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, today I wish to tell you, remind you, first of all, that you are an ambassador of joy. Now, I was tempted to take off my camera and take a picture of what you look like to see if it matches the image and who you're supposed to be, an ambassador of joy. But you and I are emissaries from the very courts of God, representing to men and women everywhere the joy and the peace of God that is found only, only in our Lord Jesus Christ. I wish to draw your attention to the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote, chapter four, I'm skipping in the middle, and I just want to view about five verses, four, five, six, and seven with you this morning. Now, I want to probably give you a little background about the author first, and Paul, that we reference often, Um, Thanks, Brother Paul Worrell, for being the image of this individual. Just a background resume of Paul. And while I'm reading this in a synoptical form, I want you to think about your resume as we do this. Paul, having been taught under the renowned 
Jewish scholar Gamaliel, he advanced in Judaism beyond any of his contemporaries. That means he was top in class, being exceedingly jealous of his forefathers. He was circumcised on the eighth day of his birth. He is also an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, he's a Hebrew of a Hebrew, true, true Hebrew. As to his law, or as to the law, he was a Pharisee. In case you want to call him, he has his phone number, 5313118. Now, I say five because Paul was five times he received 39 lashes from the Jews, which equals 195 lashes. I say three because three times he was beaten with a rod. That's with a stick or a cane. I say one because once he received a stoning. People throw a rock at him. I say again three because three times he was shipwrecked. I say one again because we spent one night adrift in the open sea. And I say one again because he spent one day adrift on the open sea. The last digit in his phone number, in case you want to call him, is eight. He had eight different dangers that he went through and persisted. Dangers from the rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers while he was in the city, dangers while he was in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and even false brothers. He also said about Paul that he, he worked hard and toiled hard through many sleepless nights. You can see why he had a horrible, terrible, no good, <laughs> very bad day. He was hungry and thirsty, many times without food, in the cold, and without enough clothing. Second Corinthians, Paul talked about himself, and he said that apart from all these things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxious concerns for all the churches. Paul was writing to the believers at Philippi. Philippi, whose original name was Quinides, was a very popular city 10 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. It was in the province of Macedonia, of course, occupied by Rome. 356 BC, Philip II, of the king of Macedonia, who was also the father of a very popular person you might know, his name is Alexander the Great. He renamed the city after himself. At the time that Paul is writing this letter to the believers at Philippi, he's already been arrested in Jerusalem, being kept as a prisoner there for two years at Caesarea. Then because Paul had dual citizenship, he appealed to Caesar and says, I need to go before Caesar because you've arrested me on no grounds. So he went to Rome and is in Rome where he is again a prisoner under house arrest that he is now writing to his friends. And this letter to the believers at Philippi is very special to Paul. You can tell by the tone of it. He didn't begin by stating his position as the Apostle Paul. He calls them some wonderful, endearing, wonderful name. These are his friends. And so he said to them, rejoice. But when we get to that in a moment, this is the same Paul who's in jail 
when you read his resume and I used his phone number to tell you some of the things that he went through. You can see why that's impossible. If you say to some people, rejoice. They say, you, you got to be joking. If you know what I'm going through, or you know what's happening, I can't rejoice. Talked about Paul. And Paul is in prison at the time he's saying this. Rejoice. Paul saw that as a tremendous opportunity, even while he was in jail, because he was, hand, he was chained to one of the Roman gods, one of the elites who was respected and expected to protect the emperor. 24 hours a day. They just chained ship, but they were always chained to Paul. Paul loved it. Paul's perspective on that was not that he's trying to get out. Paul said, these persons, these soldiers who are attached to me, they can't get away. So Paul preached to them the gospel. And so scripture tells us, because of that, all of Caesar's household was infected with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul used the situation to tell about the love of God. So Paul is now in jail, telling the people who are out of jail, rejoice. Something wrong with Paul. Or Paul gets something that we don't have. He got it very, very right. So he did not allow his circumstances to dictate his joy. And so that's what I want to say to you this morning, this afternoon, my brothers and sisters. And that's why I've designated this, that all of us as believers in Christ should be ambassadors of joy. The government administration of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas recently, they had what they call a cabinet shuffle. That's different than some people doing a certain shuffle, a junkanoo, you know. Um, you and I have been designated as ambassadors. Ambassadors have special things and supposed to do certain things in a certain way, representing somebody else. And so we are ambassadors of joy. So when somebody meets you, they should see and experience joy. Paul, as I mentioned to you, is that example. If you look at his life and all of the things that he went through, he should have very little to rejoice in. That is, if you look at certain aspects of his life. But listen, most of us as Christians and people, I think at some point, feel bothered or annoyed, a very, well, a very, maybe few for some, but every day I believe that some of you are annoyed or are bothered by something, which indicates that something or someone mildly or made you uncomfortable or it was irritating to you. We must, of course, notice the consistent emphasis on joy and rejoicing that has marked this letter that Paul wrote to the believers at Philippi. Just so that you understand, you remember Philippi, that's the place where Paul was, and this other one, Silas, was beaten up because they talked to that girl who was walking behind them and saying, these men are men of the most high God. You all should listen to them. And Paul, daily, while Paul was going to pray, you know, like their particular cell phone keep going off, you know. And Paul said to the girl or to the girl who was possessed, that the possessor who was possessing this girl get out. Well, of course, the girl's owner thought that they were losing profit. So then, of course, they reported, they just beat him up and they just threw him in jail. Do you remember what he did when he got in jail? 
They had a prayer meeting in the night. They, now, it's beaten severely, both he and Silas, but they were singing and praising God in jail. When was the last time in the middle of the night after you beat up a prisoner, you hear singing and praising in Fox Hill? Uh-huh. You hear something different. But Paul and Silas, this is the same people he's writing to now, that they are to rejoice. Paul must have some special thing about a source or cause for rejoicing. We must notice that the consistent emphasis of joy throughout his letter, and just some selective references here. In chapter 1, verse 3, every time I think of you, he says, I thank my God. Verse 4, I pray for you with joy. All that matters is that people are telling about Christ, whether in pretext or in truth. In this I rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. Verse 25 says, I shall remain and abide along with you, along with you all, for your progress and your joy in faith. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, fulfill my joy. In chapter 7, I mean chapter 2, verse 17, I rejoice and rejoice in common with you all. Verse 18, rejoice with me. And there's more in chapter 4, verse 1. So then, my brothers and sisters, my dear friends, he called them, indicated how much and how much he loved them and related to them. He fixed position. And so I want to share with you this morning, looking at chapter 4. Sorry, yeah, chapter 4, verse 4. I'm just going to read those few verses for you and make some comments. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. 4, verse 7. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know that dead people don't worry? Uh-huh. I discovered that. You know, um, they don't worry about food. Um, they don't worry about any possessions. They're not even concerned about taking an occasional bath. They don't worry about health issues. Dead people don't worry. They don't worry about relationships. And here we have in chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, rejoice. Now, I want to be pedantic and slow here. Rejoice, that's the first word in verse 4. It means to be glad, to be full of cheer, to rejoice in the Lord. We must rest in the knowledge that the only begotten Son of God, who has betrayed, who was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, 
and experience the most undeserved death in history is the source of our greatest joy, even as our experience of various issues that cause people to end up saying, this is a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Despite all of the challenges, Paul says to the believers here at Philippi, rejoice. And so we look to Christ, and he says this, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are almost home. But while we are here, rejoice. In doing so, Jesus really turned things upside down in terms of expectations or where true joy can be found. Rejoice. Here it is, in, the preposition. In, this word here, this is the primary preposition that shows direction, location, time. I said another way, it links the two nearby words. It says rejoice. Where? Not in the circumstances, my brothers and sisters, my ambassadors of joy. Not, I'm not asking you, and I don't think Paul is very emphatic about it. He's not asking us to rejoice in those difficult moments in our life. Our rejoicing is in Christ, in our Lord. This indicates how they relate to the rejoicing. The end tells me where. Well, I can't do that here. But if you're looking at this flesh that is subject to all kinds of ailment and conditions, it is very rarely you'd find a moment or 24 hours when you don't, when you can't say, I am uncomfortable. I'm not pleased. I can't rejoice while this condition is being experienced. And yet, Paul says to us, rejoice, but in the Lord. Rejoicing then has an address, in the Lord. And from that, this Lord is the one who is supreme, the possessor, the dispenser of all things, the owner, the one who has control over the person, the master. This title is exclusively used in this context for God, the Messiah. In him, you will find eternal life, forgiveness of sin. Well, let me ask you, when you think about eternal life, wasn't that cause for rejoicing? That if you have eternal life, what about freedom from guilt? Isn't that source and cause for rejoicing? Freedom from sin? Can't you rejoice when you think about that? That's for me, is cause for rejoicing. And what about this eternal relationship with God Almighty? Isn't that a cause for rejoicing, and the indwelling Holy Spirit on top of that, who indwells you to bring to your remembrance, to secure you, to seal you, so that no, nothing or anyone can pluck you out of his hand, isn't that sufficient cause for rejoicing? My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice for emphasis. Again, this is like your fan oscillating. It's keep going over and over again. Because in the Greek, it says, what is this word? It says, it means every when. Huh? 
When, Lee, what did you say? I say every when. Do you know some people who, family members, have just called me when? And I say now. <laughs> when, everywhere, because when is referencing a time. And so it says every time. So when should you rejoice? Everywhere, all the time, always is the word used here. Rejoice. In verse 5, it says let. Let here, again, verb. It allows or it means that you can allow or permit. Some people don't want to rejoice. They said, don't bother with me. You know, let me be mad. Let me be upset. You know, it's almost crazy. But some people do that. It means that it is totally within your capacity. Let. Let your gentleness. That is your, that's something that is attractive, that beautiful. That's your suitableness, your equitable fair and mild and gentle spirit. Let it be seen by everyone. What do people see when they see you 24 hours a day? And I know in our bohemian vernacular, some people say, Charlie, you want to see me when I wake up. <laughs> you know, that's another story. Do they see something that they can rejoice with? Or when something happens to you and you say, you don't want to see me like that. You know, I, I got stories, but tell me, I get, I'm on the clock, so I can't tell you my stories. But it's amazing. But the text tells me, as ambassadors of joy, that we are to let everyone see our gentleness. And I tell you, the Lord, here's it, the Lord is near. What does that mean? Yeah, he promised to dwell in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But do you forget that sometimes when you are in certain circumstances, you feel alone and your body shows it, you know? I, I'm so pleased sometimes when I'm seated here and then when our choir is singing, you know? Did I tell you sometimes, some people's face in the choir lights up the whole place. You just look at them and you feel like you're singing with them and you know you can't carry a tune in the basket, but you just look at their face. They seem like they are enjoying it. It is such an attraction. Then there are some other people who are singing the words. They should be on radio, you know, because it is not matching what we're hearing. Like smile a while, give your face a rest, and they face look like they are R.I.P. Rest in peace. They're dead. So I'm saying this case here, let, you know, everyone see your gentleness. And let me tell you, there's a certain one, the Lord is near. He is the greatest exemplar of gentleness and clemency and leniency and forgiveness. Uh, verse 6 says this, do not be anxious. Now, come on. You know, that's what the book said. Do not be anxious or overly careful. This is the easier said than done. Some people say, yeah, 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 that's easier said. Hmm, you are not where I is talking about. Don't be anxious. I'm born anxious. <laughs> there are some of you of today who are unashamedly promote the fact that you are the reigning champion of worry. You just tell people when they meet you, child, I a warrior. Warrior, warrior. <laughs> Which one? Some are a warrior, warrior. You know, when you want somebody to worry, go tell that person. And some of them go looking for it. They'll ask you, you have anything for me to worry about today? You know, and some people have it disguised as if it's a prayer request. You know, they say, would you have anything, child? And they worry. It's, that's not what should happen. 
We are supposed to be ambassadors of joy. Paul says again in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Those th- Do you have reason to really rejoice? Has the Lord done anything for you recently? Has the Lord done anything that is permanent that you can't wait to get home to really reap the full impact and benefit of it? You should always be in a state of mind of rejoicing. The other things that cause you to not to want to rejoice is temporal. Think about it. What is it? The people who drive in the road who can't drive. Do you know you don't, you're the best driver on the road? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those other people. So when you get out on the road, you have to look out for them because you are the expert driver. They are the people who cutting and, and, and some of these people get licensed called public service drivers. <laughs> yes. You know, they, but you on the road, and that sometimes irritates you. And then you say, and at the same time, you're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. I must rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, yeah. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. How can they do that when all of these things, when these things that are happening to you? And for some people, really, health issue, I can't. I, how do you, we've told you, and it's been said multiple times from this place, that we have some persons who in our prayer sheet who we call the sick and shut-in. And sometimes when you go, and my uh, brother Tommy will tell you, when you go to visit some of these people who are unable to be seated here, and you go to visit, to minister, and just to talk and share and pray with, read scripture, you come away so pumped up and enthused because they, get, they encourage you. And they can't even move. People around them have to do everything for them. But they are rejoicing in the midst of their predicament. But not in the predicament. They are rejoicing in their Lord. They have cause to rejoice. And I wish to encourage you the same thing. How many times have you been beaten or with lashes? You know, none. Well, your mother did, was a hand was a little heavy with you. You know, that was a long time ago. But, but how many of you have been shipwrecked? How many times? You know, do you remember Paul who went in the first elevator? I mean, he had to escape in a basket out the wall because the governor them had plotted to set him up to trap him. And they let him down in that first, based on the technology available then, elevator in a basket so he can escape. But he always was on the run. He talked about it in his resume. He had to always be looking over his shoulder because somebody was always plotting to get him. Some of you are in the same boat, right? Good, you're in good company with Paul. But what Paul also said is, rejoice. Can you rejoice in that? Rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. Verse 6, do not be anxious for anything. Now, this is easier said than done. There are some of you who I mentioned, of course, who consider yourself champion warriors. The answer to worry is in, and anxiety and anxiety is prayer. Simple as that. The answer to anxiety or having an anxious spirit is prayer. Do you pray? Commit everything, everything that is prone to cause you or to become anxious, commit everything to God. Leave them in his hands. Some of y'all take things back. That's why, you know, what is, when you take something, you put it up in the eye. Hog style. That's what you can get. If you pray about it, 
Leave it in God's hands. Some of you all don't even let it go. You're holding on to it. Let it go. And somebody sing a song like that. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, I know. Let it, boy, if I could sing, that would be dangerous. But it says, let it go. You know, if you pray about it, leave it. God got it. He, he could deal with it. But you all said, and then you're still looking at it. God, you ain't moved yet. Leave him alone. You know, pray, leave it in his care, his capable care. Leave it in his hand. Um, and again, let, his, let him work it out according to his time plan. Leave it. He will work it out for his glory not your necessary instant pleasure, but for his glory, and ultimately, you're good. I am so glad that I am not in control of my circumstances around me when they do happen. Um, would you consider, for example, imagine but your infant child, would you let them do run things? They choose make all of the decision? That would be scary. Did I tell you once? I didn't have a, nobody celebrated birthday. Well, that's not true. When I was a little shorter, um, the, I had a birthday celebrated. My mom, I remember one, because they only gave me one, and I remember cake, but you know, the cake didn't have any effect on me, as you can see. But I, I had a bucket of Kool-Aid. That was my, my first birthday. I had two siblings. I have two sisters older than I am, two sisters younger than I am, and a, and a brother, the last one. I'm still the baby, of course. This birthday that I have, after my siblings, and I don't make sure they don't get no big piece of cake, just, just get a little piece, because God's a share. You know, so you get a little piece, you get it. But the rest of what was left in the bucket, I call it, but when a plastic bucket, we had these, some of you who are older, the younger people have no idea. What those, what them, that tin was made of, what was the bucket made of? It was a metal, ah, forget it. Anyway, it was a metal bucket. But that was half full. And I didn't want to go to sleep because that might spoil. <clears throat> well, my mom, I told her I, I want more Kool-Aid. And, but I already had several cups of Kool-Aid. And she said, I want more. Because that's mine since it's my birthday. Well, you know, it's like sometimes when you behave like that, some people use another term. They say, okay, you want, you want to drink it? You know, some people use that other animal that say, onk, onk. <laughs> like a hog, go, go drink it. That's your birthday. Well, I stayed up all night until I drank the whole bucket. Well, I might as well tell you without saying anything <clears throat> about how my sleeping space was. You know, so well, that turned into a pool, but we will keep moving before you figure this out. How does your trust in God develop when you are experiencing pain and suffering? and disappointment, and confinement, and discouragement, and neglect, and betrayal, and loneliness, and loss of independence, can you still trust God? I'm saying, yes, yes, because of those things you say that you appreciate about God and what he's done for you, those things that are eternal, not these things that are temporal. Instead, in every situation, through prayer. And by the way, prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. That means you talk, God listen, God talk, you listen. Some of us, we don't do that. When we say we pray, we say, God, this me now. I in this, I need this, 
you know, by the way, do you know that you never give God new information, right? You, like, God don't learn nothing. All right. So when you talk, and then you say, God, I doing this, I, this is happening, help me. And then you just get up and walk away. But God didn't even get a chance to say, when God say, uh, you are back already, turn, you're already gone. That's not a prayer. It's a two-way dialogue. You talk, he listen. and God is an excellent listener. When was the last time God interrupted you while you were praying? Thank you very much. <clears throat> How many times you prayed, and because God seemed to be hesitant or deaf, you pray louder, you know, and then you come back and say, you remember when I said five minutes ago, I didn't see that happen yet? Wendy's is so faster than that, you know? But God is not on your clock. Because when you slow it down, it makes no sense to put that pressure on yourself. In other words, it comes back to that thought. Let it go. You pray about it. That's the solution to your anxiety. Give it to God and let it go. Tell your request, your concerns, your anxieties, your weaknesses, your addictions, etc. Because he truly cares for you. McGee, one of myself and my pastor Tommy's favorite Bible teacher who, of course, has passed on. He quoted Fenelon, uh, a mystic who lived in the Middle Ages, who encouraged praying as follows. And he says this. Tell God all that he that is in your heart. As one unloads one's heart, it ple- um, its pleasures and its pain to a dear friend. Tell him of your troubles, that he may com- comfort you. Tell him of your joys, that he may sober them. Tell him of your longings that he may purify them. Tell him of your dislikes, that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations, that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart, that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, and how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself as well as to others. Once you have prayed ambassadors of joy, train your mind to hear what God is whispering and not what your circumstances are shouting to you. Listen for that quiet, Still voice. And verse 7, last verse. And the result will be this. The peace, the tranquility, the harmony, the absence of rage and havoc and anxiety. The peace of God that passes all understanding, all intellectual faculty, will guard your heart. This is incredible. God will send his peace, which acts as a military fortress, battalion, battalion, and will guard your heart. Take the posture there, standing around your heart, only because you've prayed and you left it with him. And he says, his peace he will send his peace to guard your heart 
and your mind. There will be no body sneaking upon your hearts and mind to have a hostile takeover, an invasion, so that you might preserve your hearts and your mind. And where will this take place? In Christ Jesus. And so when this happens, we can say, like we say in the Bohemian vernacular, vernacular bush crack, worry gone. All right? Because you have prayed and you've left it in God's most capable hand. The one who is considered in Psalm says, he is the rock. My Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. You are in the rock. That's where you get reason for your rejoicing. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. I like, I love really what Isaiah says in this. Well, Twist it, change it up a little bit in Isaiah chapter 43. The Bible here, I think, gives me excellent advice uh, to how to deal with these issues. It says, I will be with you, so rejoice. Isn't that, that's sufficient? Do, do you remember that story in the Bible with some disciples in the boat and Jesus in the boat and Jesus going to sleep and the rough weather and the disciples were up and how they were carrying on? And Jesus in the boat. Nobody remembered Jesus. But when they did recognize that Jesus was in the boat, Jesus was sleeping. And they got upset. How could you be so callous? You you, you, you be dead. You be dead. In the storm, and you could sleep. (sighs) Jesus got over to sleep. And what did Jesus do? (sighs) Looked at his disciple, shake his head, and said, Oh, yeah. Then he spoke to the wind. Isn't that so cool? You know, shh. Quiet. Wind stopped kicking up. The waves come down. Some of us, like the waves, we kicking up. <laughs> you know, and Jesus said, shh. He's with you. He is with you. And so Isaiah here says, I will be with you. So. Rejoice when you pass through the waters. Now, sing, I would, then when I say it that way, it makes it a little different. I will be with you. So when you pass through the water, hey, that's cool, because I'm rejoicing even as I go through the water. Read on. I will not, uh, and I will not let the river sweep over you. So rejoice when you pass through the rivers. You will not be burned, nor will the flames set you ablaze. So, again, I say rejoice. When you walk through the fire, my fellow brothers and sisters, the ambassadors of joy and members of the incredible body of Christ, we are called to be people of joy, people of peace. In the midst of an uncertain world where there is tragedy and chaos and pain, Every day. I collected the newspaper, just reading the headline for this past week, just to see if, what, if that's true. Just a local one. You know? And if it's not right up front, because maybe some political event, look right to the left or right underneath, and there are things that say, what's happening? And if you take all of that, that can cause you to become anxious, feeling unsafe. You know, people send out all of these things trying to help us, saying, watch out, because this is a new scheme, somebody trying to rip you off, watch out, kind of thing. And in the midst of all of that, while we're here, Paul is telling us, 
rejoice. Our mission is to point others to a joyful relationship with God and with God's power and his love. I, I love Romans 8 and 38 that you all know very well. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And where is this love of God? In Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to get our joy back. Some people talk about groove. I know what that is. Get your groove back or get your groove on. You can need to get your rejoicing back. We're supposed to be people of joy. People of joy. Paul reflects on this, on this principle um, very clearly, and I think we should do the same. Because even though Paul was imprisoned and advanced, he advanced the gospel both to the highest paths, um, even in Caesar's palace, as I mentioned before. But even in your sickness, do you advance while you're sick? Do you advance the gospel or take that opportunity to advance the gospel? When you have financial reversals, do you take the opportunity to advance the gospel? When you have strained or in some cases abusive relationships, do you use that opportunity to advance the gospel? Paul did, and I think he's a good model for us. Rejoice, not as a command, but in Chinese, in Mandarin, it's called a chenjiyu, which is like said, rejoice in the Lord, you put it, reverse it. And let's say, in the Lord, rejoice. It takes a different switch in the meaning so that you could memorize it, and it gives you cause for rejoice. When it starts off by saying, rejoice, uh, some people are like, have this nature. Don't tell me nothing. You're my boss. So just you start off by saying, rejoice, it's a command. But if I switch it and I say, in the Lord, rejoice. Because I introduce you first to an individual in the Lord who is powerful and all of those wonderful attributes. And you heard some of it mentioned when we were the small group video presentation with small group and the impact and benefit of that. It's in the Lord. Everything happens in the Lord. It's wonderful. When you step out of that, then we can say all hell break loose. That's the Bible. Let me just skip some things and let me close with this. I first of all like to thank God Almighty for a blessing that cannot be described. It is beyond what human language could convey. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable. This is the God we sang about, unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. This is to God who is unspeakable, this is precious inexpressible, indescribable, unsearchable blessings in Christ Jesus. I conclude with these five things just from those verses I mentioned. Rejoice in the Lord. That is, get beyond yourselves and look to the Lord. Two, let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, speak with kindness to everyone, both those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. Do not be anxious for anything. In other words, relax and give it all to God. Fourth, be thankful. The simple act of expressing gratitude for your blessings. It takes the heat. It takes the heat out of any infection. Just be thankful. So when you feel a pain, pause and flip it. 
What can I be thankful for? And fifth, present your request to God. Pray. Tell God. Once you've done that, leave it in his hand. See, prayer realigns us and restores to us a sense of peace. And that's what you want. Peace. I say, as Paul said at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Pray with me. Our Father, I pray that you will give us, your children, ambassadors of joy, an infectious spirit of rejoicing. So that the ashes in our lives will be something turned into something that is beautiful. The mourning in our lives or cause for mourning will turn into gladness. The fears in our lives will turn into strength. And those things that cause us despair will turn into peace. These things, Father, I ask in Jesus' precious name and all of God's children said, Amen.